Good morning, everyone. My name's David Kesterson, and I'm one of the elders here at River Oaks Community Church. And I have the privilege to bring the message this morning. Um, this is the last Sunday of the year, uh, the last Sunday of a decade. Um, how about that? Uh, um, this uh, Wednesday, we'll start a new year, and as we're going through Ephesians, we'll be in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 this morning, but I want us to think about what Paul's saying and how these things that he's talking about, he's talking about the family of God, God's family. He's talking about uh, a foundation that this family is built on, and he talks about what interaction in this family should look like. So as we think about those things with this new year starting, I pray that you would take time to uh, think about how maybe <clears throat> your next year will be different from this year, and that maybe in the year to come, you will grow to be more like Christ. As I thought about these things, one of our main um, thoughts this morning is the foundation that we'll be talking about. I ran across this uh, um, letter. It was a. Uh, it's actually um, was written by Robert Ripley, uh, and uh, he writes of a foundation that he had seen one time. He said it was the only structure that was ever erected on a foundation of solid gold, and it on top of it it had these gates of a fortress. Now, this was in India, and when the um, builder went to build it, this uh, king, he wanted to build this giant, uh, these giant gates. He, he talked to his uh, architects or designers or whatever, and they went out, and where he said to do it was a swamp. And so they told him it couldn't be done. They would just sink in the swamp, and they would, they, they would come to nothing. Well... The, the king wouldn't have it, and so after a little while, he had a dream. And in this dream, he was told to dig, a, dig footers under these gates, 35 feet square under the two gates, <clears throat> 12 feet deep, and pour them with solid gold. And he was convinced this would hold these gates up, these giant pillars. And so he did this. He did it. He, uh, he had these dug. He poured um, his, um, uh, most of his treasury into it, his gold. Uh, the total weight of the gold that was used was over 37,000 pounds. Uh, today's worth is well over $16 million. But he poured all this in because he wanted these gates. This was in 1290 A.D. Many people around him didn't believe that this would work. But they still stand today. Those gates are still there on this foundation of gold. Over 37,000 pounds of gold. So what I want us to think about as we get ready to go into our text the foundation is incredibly important for everything we do. And I mean, I guess if you've got an extra $16 million and you want to build a foundation out of gold, give it a shot. Uh, it worked for this gentleman. But as we start to read through this this morning, 
I just want us to take time to think about what our foundation is. I'd like to start um, to read today in uh, Ephesians 2, verse 11. This will help put us in context uh, of what we'll be looking at in 19 through 22. Let me pray and then I'll read. Father, as we come to you this morning, I pray, Lord, that your Spirit will guide us in your Word that, Lord, as we look at these things, we will not look at each other the same after we hear what it means that we are your family. That, Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction where it needs to come, encouragement where it needs to come. And, Lord, that we would all grow to be more like you. It's in your name, Christ Jesus. Amen. So Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, whereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now this is our text. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So as we start our journey through this text, our first point will be one family. We're going to look at verse 19. And it starts, it says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul starts this section with, So then. This is a signal for us. It's kind of like a therefore. Anytime we see so then or therefore, we need to ask, what is the therefore therefore? Let's go back. That's why we read 11 through 18, is to kind of put us uh, in context of what's going on here. So in 
verses 12 and 13, Paul says to them, Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and stranger to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is why Paul puts this in here, this so then. It's because of this that verse 19 makes sense. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Verse 13 said that they were alienated and strangers. Paul is is making this point. He's made it a couple of times uh, so far throughout this section. He makes this point to these Gentile Christians that they are no longer strangers and aliens, but they are part of the family of God. And I wondered why he did this. And I, I thought, you know, it must have been really hard for these Gentile Christians to, to understand what was going on. I mean, think about it. They had lived separate from God their whole lives before they became Christians. Now they hear that they can come near to God through Jesus Christ, who is the Jewish Messiah. They're still thinking, I'm not Jewish. How in the world is this going to work? Paul makes this very clear. It is by the blood of Christ, not by the nation you're from, not your lineage, but it is from the blood of Christ that you are no longer strangers and aliens. So this is such an important point for them. This would have been difficult for them to understand. So Paul makes it clear over and over to them that it's not your lineage. And it's not your lineage so much that now you are fellow citizens with the saints, not because of where you came from, not because of where you're citizen anywhere else, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. For a Gentile, this declaration would mean that those who were once outsiders are now equal with the saints. I think we must ask for a minute, who are these saints? I think it's important for us to know that these saints in the New Testament, when, when saints is used, most often it's used to describe Christians uh, in a church setting. It's a a group of Christians together, worshiping together, stuff like that. Those are the saints. For this group of Gentiles that is receiving this letter, as they're reading through it, not only am I not separated, I'm a citizen, and you're saying that now I get to actually be part of the saints? I'm, I'm part of them. This made me think back to what, what it must have been like for these people before. Was there, I, we know that there was in Jewish culture, uh, the temple at this time had a separate court for the Gentiles. They were not uh, welcome in the main part of the court. They had to worship elsewhere. They couldn't uh, celebrate in a lot of the things going on. And they sure didn't partake of things as a family. So this being the case, this meant a lot to them. They get to be close to their brothers and sisters who are Jewish, but 
one. They are one now in this. So they would have understood this to mean that they are, no, they are not second-class citizens. They are not some kind of second-class people living in a foreign land, uh, believing in a foreign religion, but they are full citizens with the Jewish Christians. This may seem like it's not that big of a deal to us in the 21st century. I mean, as far as it goes, we all understand that we are fellow citizens with the saints. We, we understand that. Saints around the world, we are one with them. But at this time, for this group of Gentile Christians, they didn't know that. They were struggling with this. And so Paul reiterates to them who they are now in Christ. Also, Gentiles, uh, these Gentiles could have never become Jewish. Uh, they could have been a God-fearer. They could have worshipped in some ways. But no matter how much money they gave or how much good they did or how much anything else they did, they were always outsiders. And so this message to them is so important. They, this had to be just uh, truly hard for them to understand, though exciting at the same time. As I thought about this, I thought about how could we relate to that. Uh, for myself, I, I truly love uh, singing, and I'm not a very good singer, but I truly love singing with all of you when we come in and we're worshiping the Lord in song and we're praising God and I feel like the people behind me and in front of me and with me are truly my family. They are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're worshiping together. But imagine if the balcony was reserved for those who were a little different than us. And so the, the main body could sit down here, the Jewish Christians. But those Gentiles had to sit somewhere else. Would you feel like you were a body? Would you feel like you were one in that situation? No. So this is incredible news. Be so thankful that we worship together. We are one family, one body in Christ and fellow citizens. But Paul does not stop there with his message. Not only are they fellow citizens, but Paul continues that... These Gentiles are members of God's household. This term household carries with it the meaning of a family with God as its head. God is our Father. For the Ephesian Christians, this meant that they were now brothers and sisters with all Jewish Christians. I can only imagine the smiles that are growing on the faces of those first Gentile Christians who heard this letter being read to them. I mean, think about it. First, in Ephesians 1, Paul says, God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. And He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And in Him we have redemption through His blood, then chapter 2 continues, By grace you have been saved. Next, Paul talks about Jesus Christ being our peace. And now, we are not just citizens, but these Gentile Christians are part of God's family. 
How amazing for them. How exciting for them. So Paul, as he describes all this, he moves on to verse 20 where he says that this all takes place because all Christians are built on a foundation and a cornerstone. And so this foundation that we're built on in verse 20, it says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. In this, Paul is using an illustration of a building by starting with the foundation. And as he says that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, we must ask ourselves, what is the foundation of the apostles and prophets? I believe that it's important for us to understand that Paul is not saying that the apostles and prophets are the foundation. But it is the message the apostles and prophets proclaim that is the foundation. And this is similar to what Jesus says to Peter in Matthew 16, 15 through 18. When Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is not telling Peter here that he is the rock that the church will be built on, But the truth that Jesus is the Christ is the rock that the church is built on. In the same way, it is the message that the apostles and prophets proclaim that is the foundation. So we must ask, what is this message? The message proclaimed is the gospel. We often speak of the gospel here at River Oaks. And we truly are lovers of the gospel. You'll hear us say, preach the gospel to yourself daily. We think about the gospel a lot. We know the gospel. It is part of who we are. But I also know that oftentimes in a church service, there will be some who do not know what the gospel is. There may even be someone who has never heard it. So I would like to share a condensed version of this good news with you. The gospel starts with the understanding that because of Adam's sin and his rebellion against God, all people since have a nature that is at enmity with God. And so we do not live our lives serving and worshiping God. Neither do we treat other people like they are created in the image of God. We all have sinned in these ways, and consequently, we have no hope in and of ourselves to reconcile ourselves to God. Also, God is an omniscient judge that will not let the guilty go unpunished. You may think, I haven't done bad things. You you don't know everything about me. But God is omniscient. He does know. Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7 goes through to point out that it's not just our deeds, but it's our thoughts. He says, 
If you have ever lusted after someone, you're guilty of adultery. If you have ever hated someone, it's the same as murder. These things are only something an omniscient judge can see. And there's none of us who can say we have never done those things. That being the case, we are guilty before God. And because of this, our destiny is an eternal punishment in hell. But a little over 2,000 years ago, the Son of God stepped out of heaven where He had eternally existed with the Father and the Spirit. He added humanity to His deity and became a baby in the womb of a virgin. We just celebrated His birth just last week and Christmas. What an incredible time. We come together. Why do we celebrate this? Because God became man. And from that, he lived a sinless life. Then, later in his life, he was accused of blasphemy because he proclaimed that he was equal with God. And he proclaimed that he was God. The Jewish rulers had him crucified, but this was not as much their plan as it was God's so that Jesus could take the punishment that we deserve by God the Father pouring out an eternity worth of wrath on Jesus to make a one-time payment for the sins of those that will believe. Then Jesus gave up his life, and he died and was buried. Next, Jesus rose from the dead to show that death could not hold him and that he is the resurrection and the life. He is our only hope. Therefore, according to Scripture, you must repent and believe this message and surrender your life to Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. And when you do this, He will save you. So it is this message and the rest of the New Testament that is the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Paul continues the imagery of the building by adding that Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of the building. The cornerstone is the keystone in the building because it holds the rest of the building together. For the Ephesians, this helped them understand that they were no longer considered outsiders by the Jewish Christians, but they stood on the same foundation no matter their ethnicity. For us, this means that we are part of the family of God through Jesus Christ, no matter our ethnicity, our social status, or anything else. All Christians are ultimately connected to Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. As a result, we are a family. And we are an involved family. In verses 21 and 22, it says, Speaking of the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So growth for God's family is the same now as it was for the Ephesians in the first century. It happened as a result of us being joined to Jesus Christ and serving other Christians with the gifts the Spirit has given us. 
these gifts are given are meant to be for serving the members of the church, God's family. In Romans 12.4, Paul makes the comparison to the church and the human body. He says, For as in one body we all have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. This is important for us today to consider. We live in a culture that is very individualistic. Many of us fall into this trap that says the only, things, the only thing that matters truly is my relationship with God. I, I don't need other Christians to do this. I can, I can do it myself. Many of us struggle with this thought. We may try hard to work against it, and we may try hard to follow the things of God, which he's telling us in here, but the truth is a lot of us struggle with this, and many of us withdraw for that reason and think, I'll be fine. But if we'll look into Ephesians 4, uh, chapter 12, we read that God has gifted us with pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. If this is the case, then we can't grow in Christ's likeness by ourselves. We can't hide out just by ourselves and think, I've got my Bible and it's just me and God and I'm just going to do this and somehow Christ-likeness will happen. You don't have all the gifts. You don't have the things you need without each other. We are a family that needs each other to become more like Christ. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone that holds us together, but we have to be there for each other. So let us turn our attention in this year to come to being involved members of God's family. And as we become involved members of God's family, I noticed in the bulletin this morning uh, that I just wanted to think of some practical ways we can all become part of God's family, working together at things. There is prayer week uh, coming January 19th through January 25th. What a great time to come together to pray for the church, pray for what we're going to reach, pray for the lost in our community, pray for each other. There's also discipleship turbo training coming up so you can be equipped in discipleship. There is a ladies' uh, Bible reading group starting up. Um, and if you'd like to be part of this, uh, Metri told me there's a sign-up table in back. Um, also, there are growth groups. If you're not in a growth group, let me encourage you. Become part of a growth group. That is where you will find people who are equipped in ways you're not. So you might grow in Christ's likeness. And then we all truly grow together as we come together. We see each other. We spend time with others. All of these things will help us to become more like Christ. Also, there's the children's ministry. Let me encourage you. 
to become part of the children's ministry. The children that are here, they hear the gospel when they're up there uh, in the classrooms. These teachers, they pour their lives into sharing the gospel with the children. I know many of you share the gospel with your children at home, but they hear it here too, and they get to be built up in Christ. All of these ways are ways you can function in the body. So let me encourage you in that. <clears throat> in all of this, as we think about these things, let us remember what our goal is. We are God's family with a goal of becoming more like Christ together. Christ's likeness should be every Christian's desire. As we read that we are not only joined to Christ, but we are also joined to each other, this should make us examine our lives. This is not something to bring us down. As I, as I thought about this earlier, sometimes I, as I'm reading Scripture, as I was reading through this section, actually, I was like, oh, I don't know how well I'm doing that. Oh, gosh. But don't let it be like that. Let it be an encouragement to you that your brothers and sisters have gifts you don't, that they are there to equip you and you are there to equip them. We are one family with a common goal. Let this be a, an exciting thing for us. It, it should bring joy to us to know that we get to somehow edify someone else that they might become more like Christ, or that a brother or sister out there might edify me and I will become more like Christ. What an exciting thing. And so that is how we grow in Christ as a family. But that's not the end. The holy temple is still being completed. There are still stones to be added. There are still people that have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot forget Jesus gave the command in Matthew to go to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that He has commanded us. And behold, He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. As I thought about how this could take place in our lives, I know that many of us struggle sharing the gospel with strangers. Um, so I thought of different ways. Uh, and it is hard sharing the gospel with strangers. Um, I do that from time to time. If any of you would ever like to do that, come and let me know. Uh, it's not the easiest thing you'll ever do, but it is truly a blessing to get to go and share the gospel with people. I Personally, my... Spot to go is Tanger Outlet Malls. Don't sit on a bench and ha not have your phone in your hand because I will sit next to you. And I will share the gospel with you. <laughs> and sometimes even if you have your phone in your, your hand, I'll, I'll do it. So, uh, But think about that. Think about how we can reach others. Do we want to see this building completed? That God is talking about this holy temple? But for those who, who may struggle with walking up and talking to strangers, uh, let me encourage you that there are other ways. 
I don't know about you guys, but in the neighborhood I live in, there are houses around me with people who live there. And many of them don't go to church. Pay attention to them. Notice them. Maybe there's somebody whose leaves have not been raked all fall. You see, they've just got mounds of leaves. And you notice that the car comes home late at night. Maybe it's a father trying to provide for his family, working two or three jobs. He doesn't have time. You could rake their leaves. Maybe you'll notice an elderly person in your neighborhood close to you or something who you notice hasn't come out of the house for a while. Are they okay? Maybe just check on them. Say hi. There are a thousand different things we can do. And I ask that you would do that. If you notice somebody's grass get, getting high, maybe see if they're okay and if it's okay to cut their grass for them. But I ask you, in all of these things, do not do these things just to serve them. Do it with intentionality to share the gospel with them. Use the way you're going to serve them as a way to open a door for conversation about Jesus Christ. I encourage you to do that. This is how we reach others, and this is how this holy temple is being built. I long for the day that the last stone is laid on it, because that means Christ is coming. But until that day, keep telling others. In conclusion, Paul wanted the Ephesian Gentiles to know that they are part of God's family because their foundation is built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he holds them as they serve each other. For us today, this message is so important and glorious. We Christians are part of God's family. He is our Father and He cares for us. Yes, if you are a Christian, God loves us. Also, we have each other that the Holy Spirit has equipped with gifts for one another so we can grow into Christ's likeness. Our God loves us so much that he calls us his family. Let us pray. Father, as we come before you today, I pray, Lord, that your word convicts us. I pray that your spirit drives us to rejoice in the fact that we are your family, that Jesus Christ, by his blood, has saved us, has made us one people, one holy temple being built. I pray, Lord, that you would give each one of us the de desire to see each other grow, to become more like you, Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.